Welcome to uh, This Is Qatar, episode three. Um, this week we interview a very good friend of mine and also a client, um, Mr. Chris Douglas, who is a senior wealth manager from Devere Group. Um, Chris takes us on uh, an insight into um, what it's like to be a financial advisor, uh, what it's like to be a young 22-year-old moving to a foreign country uh, into a, a new sector. And um, we hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, Chris Douglas. Good morning, Simon. Good to see you, mate. How you doing, buddy? You all right? Yeah, not too bad at all, mate, given the circumstances right now. Yourself? You've still got a smile on your face. Yeah, not, not, uh, not too shabby at all. I'm, uh, I'm in the office. I'm being productive. Um, you know, nothing to, nothing to really complain about um, uh, on my side. So we're just going to keep it going. But yeah, unprecedented times, uh, as, I'm, uh, as I'm sure you'll, you'll agree. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. But as you say, just your attitude there. It's about staying positive. Um, yep. You know, it could be, could be a hell of a lot worse. Obviously, difficult times, um, but could be a hell of a lot worse. Indeed. Welcome to the show. Welcome to This Is Qatar. This is episode number three. Um, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to participate. I'm looking forward to having a good chat with you. Um, why don't we start just uh, with a quick introduction into who you are, who you represent, and what is it you do? Yeah, sure. So uh, obviously my name is Chris Douglas. Uh, I'm an executive wealth manager uh, at the Devere Group out here in Qatar. Uh, I've been out here now six years. Um, so primarily my role is obviously helping and, and managing my, my clients' portfolios, predominantly expats who I look after. Um, and around about 300 um, clients who manage their, their, their investment portfolios out here at the moment. Very good. And so obviously we know, we've known each other for probably about five, five of that six years, uh, yeah. both in business and personally. Um, never really good circumstances personally with regards to the football. We always seem to get beat. Never has been Scottish. <laughs> Uh, we, we need to change that circumstance next year. But obviously, we know each other personally through, um, I'm a client of yours, you're a client of mine, which is great. Um, you've helped me in, in, in investments um, and in life insurance and got things sorted out. So you look after some of my portfolio uh, after, uh, after Jason, who I worked with um, on the Devere project. Um, our time in business uh, goes back about five years, as I say, as well, in which we were kindly awarded by you um, to do uh, to do your fit out. Um, how's life in, in Doha Tower? It's not a bad location, right? Yeah, do you know what? It's, it's exceptional. It's a brilliant, brilliant tower. Um, for us, of course, image is, is very important. Yeah, you know, especially when you've got new prospects, potential clients coming into the office. That kind of first impression is, is so, so important. And I think that's the great thing about Doha Tower. And I guess I maybe appreciate it probably a lot more than, than some of our new staff that come out and they're, they're straight into the office because I don't know if you've ever seen our office uh, prior to Doha Tower, but it obviously wasn't a touch on, uh, on, 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 on the, the, facility, the building, uh, the facility and everything, you know. So, yeah, it's exceptional and I think uh, we, we, we uh, get the real benefit out of it when, when clients come in and a nice place to go to work as well. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, did you uh, did you see James? And by the way, that was not scripted. Did you see James Green's very kind words? Do you know what? I actually did. I was scrolling through LinkedIn um, and I picked up because I know, obviously, uh, for those that don't know, James Green's actually now our divisional manager in Europe, actually the son of our CEO. Uh, at the time, though, he actually managed the region. Um, so kind of Qatar, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, etc. And I think he had quite a bit of an involvement. Um, Actually, I'm sure don't mind me saying this, but I think today it's still our kind of most expensive office. We've got 100 offices <laughs> worldwide. Um, it's our most expensive <laughs> You know, that, that means a lot to us. Is a, is a, for me personally, the faith that, you know, the likes of James to sign that off, our CEO um, to, to have is, you know, in there, that shows the faith we've got. And A, Qatar is a, is a, is a, is a place for business. Um, obviously, the people within the office as well. Um, so yeah, uh, I did see James' comments, and I, I know they were they were absolutely delighted with it as well, mate. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a, it was very very um, fond words. Mm. Um, we've been speaking about something else, and, and obviously we had uh, been discussing. Is he based in Barcelona now? 
He was, I think he's actually now just relocated himself um, to the UK. Okay. Um, so we had a little bit of a reshuffle with you in Europe. Um, and yeah, I think he's based at the UK. He's got two young young kids now as well. So I'm sure he's, uh, his wife had a little bit of a pull over him uh, getting dragged back to the UK as well. But he's, yeah, covering all of Europe. Good. Okay, so I mean, that was about five years ago. So a lot's happened in, in five years. But let's take a step back and let's talk about Chris Douglas. Yeah, uh, person. Tell us, um, tell us a bit about, tell us a bit about now, about how um, you, you've recently uh, taken a sort of sidestep into a more wealth management role. Um, sure. How has how has COVID nineteen affected you as an individual? Um, uh, you've obviously had that job change, and, and just take us through your sort of career in general, um, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'll probably take a step back firstly, just the, the, the start of my career. So I came straight out of school, actually, um, and went straight into to banking. In fact, I actually left school with a, you know, a position to go and, and study PE teaching um, at Edinburgh University. Um, and about a couple of weeks before I started, I got offered a position with Bank of Scotland, Lloyds Banking Group, um, just basically starting at the very bottom uh, as a customer advisor on the tills, cashing checks for people, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, you know what? My heart really wasn't in going to university. Um, I just wanted to get on, you know, that, that kind of corporate ladder, even if it was from the very bottom. Uh, and my view was always get into a sort of big, reputable institution, work hard and, and you'll build your way up. Um, so that was absolutely brilliant for me, you know, uh, going in, it, it, thrown into that at 17 um learned so much you know i, I kind of compare it and obviously you know um everyone's got their own journey but i compare it to a lot of my friends that, that went to uni and dropped out a few courses and were doing something they had no intent studying something they had no intention of, of actually following through with a career with and it just didn't make sense to me um so yeah so so much i learned and i look at where then that put me by the time they left uni um, was just on a complete different spectrum, spectrum just from the, the life skills that were learned. Um, and Lloyds Bank were brilliant in terms of, you know, putting me through my exams. Um, I had three promotions in, in five years with them. Um, so eventually I became a financial advisor uh, with Lloyds. Um, I think at the time when I was studying, I was their youngest ever. Um, it was branded about. I never knew that officially, so I've never kind of tried to take that as an official title, but the youngest of our financial advisor that they had, um, certainly within Bank of Scotland. Um, and yeah, it was just brilliant, great learning curve. Um, and then when I was 22, uh, that's when I actually got, got headhunted with, with De Vere. Um, and yeah, began the process of going through De Vere's kind of stringent recruitment requirements, etc. Um, ended up out in Malta, which is where at the time our sort of head training base was. Um, so went out there for a kind of short kind of course and uh, a crash course, if you will, in the kind of international financial world, um, which is, of course, uh, not dissimilar from the UK environment, but certainly a few key, kind of key differences went through that. And uh, yeah, completed and passed my course in Malta. And at the time, it was sort of a case of you, you've got your choice of office, Chris. And that was the one thing that really attracted me to, to De Vere. You know, I knew I wanted to, to go out and get a bit of international experience. You know, so you were, you were sitting there, you were looking an office in New York, uh, an office in Miami, Dubai, Barcelona, all these, these great locations. But um, then you're probably, everyone's probably thinking at the moment, well, why the hell did you end up in Qatar? <laughs> but for me, I wanted to, to know where was the best career opportunity, where was the best place for me to go and build up my, my client bank, you know? So I stripped it all back. Well, other people that were on the course, probably a lot older than me and, and a lot more experienced were, were choosing these locations for the lifestyle. I didn't really give a toss about the lifestyle. Um, for me, it was, right, okay, where's the best career opportunity, obviously earning opportunity, and Qatar sort of ticked all the boxes, so I stripped it back, I wanted to see the top 10 performing offices, um, I wanted to see how they'd moved over the last five years in terms of what offices was growing, um, and everything sort of pointed towards Qatar, uh, and I guess what kind of finally sealed it for me was, was obviously, uh, as you probably know yourself, Simon, uh, your manager is probably one of the, the most important influences you, you'll have. I see you talk a lot about your kind of mentors and stuff. Um, and, and I had a chat with Jason O'Leary, who you obviously know well from, from 
you know, the, the reciprocal business between yourself personally and, and obviously the fit out stuff that we just talked about. Um, and speaking to Jason, it was just like, yeah, this is someone that's going to, that's going to grow my career for me and uh, a great person to work under. And, and to be honest, it was the best thing I ever did. Good. No, that's, um, I, I concur with, with, with what you've said about Jason. He, we were always, um, uh, I think we probably became quite good friends and, and as well as, as well as, um, you know, clients, um, uh, sad to see him sort of move on to pastures new, but obviously, uh, everyone is is looking to you know to move their career in the right in the right direction. Um, it's interesting what you say about you know you had that stringent recruitment process. Uh, you came out here at 22, is that correct? 22 it was, yeah, um, yeah, 22 when I came out. Yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah, that's when you're when you're 16, 17, and you think oh, 22 is quite an old age, but when you actually get into uh, an expat environment. You know, a 22-year-old with you know little international experience. What kind of challenges did you find uh, acquiring clients, speaking to clients? You know, you're talking about something that people are looking to invest in you and your company um, with their wealth, with their savings, and to trust a 22-year-old that, in essence, has done a crash course in Malta. You guys have got probably one of the hardest jobs in. Um, the hardest sectors, the hardest jobs, and I feel as if you're you're already operating from a negative standpoint. Yeah. How did you start to build up your client base, and and what is it what is it that you can that you can tell me that completely abolishes that stereotype of what it is you guys you guys are doing? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's really interesting. Firstly, the the, the point you make, you see, when you're, 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 it resonates with me so much. When you're 16, 17, or even when you're 22, you you feel like you you know you've got all the the life experience in the world. Now, you know, 28, you look back on it, and I think now I'm probably I probably don't think I've ever even said this to, to anyone. But even looking back on it, and now it's like wow, that what was a real, real big culture shock that I probably didn't even. Looking back on it, and this might sound really strange, but I think I was sort of an autopilot when I came out. And I don't know if anyone can, can maybe relate to that. It doesn't even make a lot of sense saying it. But I think looking back on it, I definitely didn't realize it at the time, but you were just in sort of autopilot. Um, so, yeah, it's always something that I've had to, to deal with, being in the industry, the banking industry from 17, being a you know, financial advisor from in the UK from 21, 2021. Um, it was always something I dealt with, you know, I, I, and I wasn't just young, I looked young as well. I had the baby face to go with it, you know, so I would get that so regularly. And I just, I guess I learned to sort of use it as a benefit. Um, you know, I guess that when I, when I had it in the bank, people would come into my office. Bear in mind, people, you already had the trust there when I worked for the Bank of Scotland because people would be clients with the bank. And the bank with the bank for, for 20 years, they were then coming in to see me. They maybe had a, an inheritance, for example. They were coming in to see me to, to find out where was the best place to invest it, whatever it may be. Uh, and you so often I get, Jesus Christ, what age are you? Um, and, and I just kind of, again... I don't know. I sort of maybe learned to just use it as, as a positive, even though it obviously wasn't really a positive maybe at the time for someone to say that. But, you know, I just had the sort of attitude, well, would you rather a 50-year-old who doesn't know what he's talking about or a 21-year-old who, who's, who's eager to grow his career? It doesn't career? matter about age. It doesn't totally matter if I learned that. And uh, that was such a, such a Scottish response when you, when you walk in somewhere and you go, you know, you, yeah, um, was uh, but you know, you're right. You know, it doesn't. People would have would have had a uh, they would have had a first impression of you. He's young. He's not going to know anything. I don't really want to talk to him. But if you start to ask the right questions and you're inquisitive about what their problem is and you start to give them the right answers, the stereotype completely disappears. We were talking offline, and I, I certainly wouldn't say I had the same stereotype because I have the same, I have the same, uh, I have the understanding of what the difficulties that your companies like you and individuals like you and young guys like you coming out to a, a, you know an expat environment. I understand what you're going through. Years and years ago, when I went into sales, I was 16, and I was one of these annoying people that would pick up the phone and try and sell you kitchens or try and get appointments. You know, the really annoying people that would interrupt Coronation Street or EastEnders, you know, 
Um, and, but I was very successful at it. And I've always been in sales and I've always been a people person. You're very similar, albeit you did it more from a reactive customer service perspective in, in the banking. But we've sure. always had to, we've always had to, um, uh, we've had the challenges of being young um, and being questioned about our, about our experience. And then you look at the industry that you're in, add that to the fact that you're young, add that to the fact that you're an expat. You're doing not bad to be here for six years, Chris, to still, because yeah. you've always got a smile on your face. You're always positive. You always, you know, you're only negative as you're a Rangers fan, but you know, we'll, we won't hold that against <laughs> you've always got a smile on your face but you're in such a negatively stereotyped industry that yeah i remember you and i um we we were out socially not together but we we bumped into each other and we bumped into one of your colleagues and i said something similar to you and your colleagues and your colleague turned around within about 10 minutes and he completely switched my mindset he completely switched my the question was you get that you must get these these reactions from people that you don't know what you're talking about. That you're only in it for the lifestyle. You're only in it to go out and have a party or go to brunch or whatever the case may be. But within ten minutes, he actually told me things that I had absolutely no idea were fact. Mm -hmm. And it, it was it was actually an amazing ten minutes, albeit it was in a very social environment. Yeah. But you're in a negative position. Um, how do you get over that? How do you how do you speak to clients? I mean, it's it's hard enough to get clients with age and with reputation, but what is it you do to to sort of calm the client down and give them that information that they that they that they need and that they want? Sure. So I, I guess kind of in a couple of ways. Obviously, I spoke about the difficulties being so young with the, the Bank of Scotland. Then coming out here at twenty two. By golly, I didn't know what had hit me because all of a sudden you still had that. You're maybe even younger in this environment, you know, in terms of average working age. So it's even compounded more, if you will. Um, and then secondly, you don't have the trust factor that I maybe had with the Bank of Scotland, where people either A, have had no dealings with the veer, not even heard of the veer, or potentially maybe in some cases, someone that's had a, a bad experience or been hassled with, with, with a phone call, as you say, whether they're watching Corey or whatever. So it made it, makes it, made it even more and more difficult. Um, I guess I would always go back, um, from my point of view, very similar to that Scotland. That I was never bothered about that walk-in reaction of, oh my God, how young are you? Because I knew without sounding arrogant, I knew within 20 minutes of having a conversation about finances that they would go, wow, okay, this guy actually does know what he's talking about. It's very similar to the experience you, the social experience you had with one of my, my colleagues. Um, so yeah, that, that was it. But I guess what made the first year so tough is I was coming out with a client bank. So you've got to, and this, this goes for anyone coming out where 50 years old or, or 20 years old, you've got to build up that client bank and that reputation. Um, now, how you do that um, can be done through a number of ways. Obviously, probably the, the, the first source that you're going to maybe go to is, is maybe sending out some messages on LinkedIn. Uh, I won't deny that happens. Maybe, you know, reaching out to people through, through the telephone. Um, so that, getting that first sort of 10, 15 clients. Um, but once we'd done that, uh, or once I'd done that, um, I very much kind of switched my method of working to referrals and introductions. And that sort of really, really kind of dealt with that um, in the sense of I took on 10, 15 clients, you know, in, in my first year, which was a pretty, pretty slow year, um, you know, by, by standards. But I made sure that I looked after every single one of them. Uh, I made sure I gave them probably exceptional service in terms of speaking to them every couple of weeks just to give them a little bit of an update on something. Whatever it was, I found just an excuse just to speak to them. And I think people like that from their financial advisor or whoever's managing their money. They like to hear from you. They like to know that you're, you're still there and you're still looking after things. Um, and then what I started to do, and the, the, the big thing that, that, that changed it for me was starting to do client events. So taking those kind of 10, 15 clients and saying, look, thank you so much for, for, your, for your business. Um, it genuinely does mean a lot. I want to take you guys out for a brunch or I want to, you know, host a barbecue for all you guys. Everything's on me. Um, 
please just bring along a couple of friends. Absolute no pressure in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the, the environment. We're not going to be talking about business, sales, whatever. Um, but just bring along someone that you think I might be able to help in the same way as you. Uh, and then those people would come along and then would, you know, drinks would fall. Inevitably, it would go along to, to a little bit of business chat and maybe how I've helped their friends. And, and there was that degree of trust. Um, and then it's just really kind of built from there. And to the point now where, to be honest, as I mentioned, I've, I've got 300 clients. I, I don't really actively take on um, new clients anymore. Uh, you know, I've not really got the, 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 the capacity, certainly not out really chasing new business. Um, and just generally, we'll find, I'll find a couple of emails a week from just people saying hi you've helped you know my friend with this area can we have a quick chat um and then that's yeah the the, the real the, the real great way how, how it's now working um and there's that's just there's a lot of people that don't know um what to do with you know we're, we're in a very fortunate position you've been here six years i've been here uh, coming up 12 years and you know we're in a tax-free environment we are, in essence, if you make the right choices, <laughs> the right choices, if you make certain choices by some people want to go to brunches, some people want to have a nice lifestyle and live, live in, you know, large villas or, you know, we live on the Pearl. It's a nice lifestyle. But generally, generally, there is some expendable income there. Yep. And a lot of people don't know what, what to do with it. And a lot of people don't know really what Devere Group do as, as a company, as, as an entity. Give us, give us just an overview of what it is. You're obviously, you're in a position in which you're, you're sitting with a client. A client says, listen, I'm earning X amount per month. Uh, I'm putting it back in my UK account and it's sitting there doing, doing nothing. What kind of conversation would you generally have with a relatively new expat who's looking to gain some financial advice? Yeah, um, I think that the impression that a lot of people have is the, the investment management side of it and the, the investing and, and making your money grow or, or falling in value, whatever it may be. Um, but that's probably actually come secondary. Probably the, genuinely, if you ask any of my clients, probably the most valuable thing, and, and to use your scenario as well for someone just moving out here, probably the most valuable thing that we add is actually structure um, to their financial life if you will so for a lot of people the, the first thing that i will sit down with them and you know will not talk about investing they'll ask they'll maybe ask you know what should i be investing and i'll say look this conversation is not about that let's look at your financial picture let's look at what your short medium and long-term goals are and let's make sure we, we build a plan to get there um, so actually the financial planning and, and and that discipline as you talked about a lot of people are in the fortunate position out here to to have uh, you know a, a little bit of disposable income uh it's very very easy and i'm sure a lot of people watching this can, can can be honest enough to admit that before you know it you can click your fingers you can be out here five years ten years earning this great tax-free salary and you've not actually made a financial difference to, to your life by investing for your retirement or whatever it may be um, I think that, that's an easy trap for so many people to fall into. You can get what we call the sort of lifestyle creep. Um, and I think it does happen to everyone that moves out here. But you've just got to, yeah, as I say, apply that little bit of discipline. There genuinely is no better time to start doing that than when you first come out. Um, as we're going to come on to and chat about in a little second with my YouTube channel. But uh, I just done a video recently on, you know, taxing yourself 10%. Um, that's just a kind of very round piece of advice. Of course, it's always a lot more personalized than that. But that's the, the first one. I started working at the bank at 17. Fortunately, my mum kind of drilled it into me. It was like, whatever paycheck you get, take 10% off, tax yourself, put it in an account for X, Y, or Z. Um, and that was always kind of the, the, the route that I went down. So, If anything, that's probably the easy bit. You know, and I'm only talking from personal experience. The harder part... Um, which I'd like you to, to touch on is what do you do with it? You know, you've got the 10% and the, the, the stereotype, as everything does, it evolves through the decades. So financial yeah. advice and investments is no longer just putting money into merchant banks and, and stocks and shares. It's now going into alternative type of investments. You've obviously got your property side of the, of the business with regards to property investments. You've got your, um, your life insurance and critical illness plans. You've got general savings plans, 
uh, on a monthly basis and you put the money aside and you, and you forget about it um, yeah. for 15, 20, 25 years. Um, I definitely think that from a state pension perspective, it, it's no longer a viable option. Um, there's just not enough there to, to live on even for um, uh, residents in the UK, never mind you know, domiciled uh, um, expats like ourselves. So you've got to look at, at options. So you take the 10%, you put it aside. What are the, what are the typical options that, that Devere offer for that money to actually work for your clients rather than just sitting in a bank? Because we all know the banks don't help us. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think that's the, the, the kind of key thing, as I say, with Devere as well. You know, the, the, the services that, and the, the options that we now have are, are so extensive compared to, to our competition. Obviously, as, as you're aware, we, we recently launched, uh, or in two years ago now, launched the kind of elite property service for clients wanting to invest in property throughout the world um, in, in, in certain areas. Um, so, yeah, they, they, from an investment point of view, again, it really comes down to the individual, you know, because all, all financial planning is, of course, personalized. So, you know, you're, you're looking at doing a, a detailed risk analysis um, with people, what your goals are. So, for example, if you're saving for five years to build up a deposit for a house and I'm saving for 25 years to build up a pot for my retirement, well, we've got very different goals in terms of the time frame. The investment structure is going to be completely different. Uh, because if there's a market crash, you've not got too much time to, to actually have recovery. Whereas if I get market crash in my 25-year term for saving for retirement, it's a great thing because I can invest more and I know I've got plenty of time to recover. Um, so it's really vast in terms of the, the, the investment side. And you're right, it's, um, you know, the financial planning side is a lot simpler. I'd argue it's, it's a lot more actually <laughs> important. The, the investment side does come secondary. Um, but of course, then the, that, that's where really the hard work is done um, in terms of, you know, managing the investment portfolio, uh, it's, making it's sure about it's taking money. It's not just about taking the, you know, to, to sort of put a synopsis around it. You speak to a client, the client and you agree potentially on a, on a monthly contribution that yeah. they can't set aside. Let's call it the 10% tax for, for one of your term. It's then not, the job is not done. It's not just well, about that money aside and, and magically it will grow a lot of people don't understand the work that goes on behind the scenes and i can selfishly relate to that because it's not just about when it comes to the office and and the the build of the office the build just doesn't happen like that there are so many things that happen in the background as part of a process that allows the build to happen um you, you'll probably concur with this with this but you know probably about 10 days before we handed over your office you're standing there looking at it going, there's no way this is going to be ready in 10 days. And then miraculously it actually happens because the process has taken shape and you know, you're, you're handing over and the following day we're all going and celebrating and handing over your office, which is great. People don't understand the structure. As you said, they don't understand the planning that goes involved behind the scenes before the, um, uh, b before the, the, the sort of um, the, the plan is put in place during the plan the end is so far away that it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, and again, that's part of that, uh, part of that education. And you touched on it earlier, and I've, I've seen some of your videos, you've introduced me to these videos. We're both doing quite a lot of, of social media. How important has the, the YouTube channel been and your videos been on social media for educating your clients? What kind of feedback are you getting? Yeah, um, it's something that really, to be honest, I've, I've always really wanted to, to get into and, and always had it in my mind. And it's one of those things that I just never really got around to. Um, I guess two things sort of triggered it. Um, one, obviously, the situation that we're in uh, with, with, with COVID-19, trying to be a little bit more efficient. And, and secondly, it was probably for the first time towards the, the end of last year, um, the start of this year, I actually felt like my number of clients that I was managing was starting to get on on top of me a little bit in terms of I've always really really prided myself on giving an exceptional service to, to all of my clients um, for the first time ever I felt like I wasn't actually making that quite that regular contact with, with some clients and I thought right I really need to get on top of this and address it um, so a really efficient way now to, to be doing that rather than calling around 300 people which 
I will do, but not doing that every two weeks, um, <laughs> is I'm going to be doing regular, so I do regular kind of market updates. Um, so we've done a live webinar, for example, three weeks ago, uh, which was a kind of COVID-19 uh, investment market update and investment opportunities. Um, and yeah, that, the feedback that, that, that I got in that was, was kind of blew me away, to be honest. Um, I think A, clients really, really appreciated it. Um, and I was sort of inundated after it, uh, if, if I'm honest, which is a, a nice thing to complain about because um, mm. so many people were sharing it around, um, you know, with, with friends and, and, and whatnot. And I've, you know, been inundated with inquiries through that, which was, which was great. Um, and as I say, I think it's something, you, you know, we probably come on to and chat about in a little bit, but simply something that I'll carry on long after. I think a lot of things from COVID-19 will trigger a, a change in the business yeah. world. Um, this is definitely going to be something that I'll be encouraging, you know, certainly all the advisors within Devere to, to be looking to do. Um, because, yes, it adds that excellent service. But I think for, you know, again, talking about prospects, again, talking about how do you build that level of trust uh, before they become a client? Well, seeing something like that, seeing me talk about markets for, for an hour um, and, and giving a market update and investment opportunities, uh, I think people watching that video, again, very quickly can see that, right, okay, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. Um, yeah, I need to have a chat with him. Uh, it, and yeah. has multiple, it has multiple purposes. These webinars that you're, that you're doing, um, the social media videos, I remember uh, one of your colleagues, I think, sorry, I said this earlier, Reese um, was from a property partner. That was one of the first videos I watched yep. of you quite yep. some time ago. Content and education. Um, I, one of my uh, mentors within the sort of property side, um, Rob Moore, um, mm -hmm. always says, you don't know what you don't know. So whether you're repeating things that 60, 70% of your clients already know, the other 30% or the potential clients that don't know those elements, that's useful to them. Um, keeping in touch with your clients through those different mediums. I, I agree with you. I think there's going to be so many changes to the way that business is done. Um, certainly, I think for companies like you, where you're trying to keep in touch with clients and the stereotype again, or the norm is to go and visit them at their homes or to go and catch up with them through social gatherings, which there's only so many social gatherings that you can, that you can do, but jumping on, a, on a, a Zoom call or obviously a phone call, but I actually think, and this is just kind of off the cuff, but I think Zoom calls and video conferencing or video calls will become more popular because they're now so accessible on your phone. You can have Zoom on your phone. Yes, audio will still be, will still be popular. Not everyone is comfortable on, on video calls, but I think the percentage of shift to video calls, um, the percentage of, percentage of shift uh, definitely um, to, uh, to video meetings. Um, certainly it will bring the world uh, a lot closer together. It means that your regional training uh, can happen. It means that regional roles, uh, which again, I spoke with my previous guest, uh, Hussam Gawish from HKA, who ironically is your neighbor um, in a very similar scenario. Yeah. Uh, has said that you know, his regional role, which is the Middle East and North Africa, he can actually sustain or maintain his relationships with clients and colleagues from Qatar in a much easier manner and a much easier way now that what, what has happened with these lockdowns. There's no denying that what is happening in the world is rumors galore, where did it start? Why did it start? How many people is it going to affect? Uh, the markets are going to dip. They're not going to crash, albeit I think U.S. Uh, uh, oil investors would, would disagree with that. But um, that, again, will, you know, will, will sort itself out in due course. There is so many changes that are going to happen for the benefit, but no one can ignore, obviously, the, the, the travesty and, and you know, the, the fatalities that are, that are going on. But businesses will, will recover. I, I do believe that businesses will recover. But do you think it will change the way that your company does business globally do you think it will change the way that you look after your clients even more so with your your youtube channel you've already do, you're already doing that uh, you're already doing your social media but maintaining that client relationships do you think covid19 has actually been if anything a benefit to future growth of businesses 
generally, I mean, firstly, obviously, as you touched on personally, it's, you know, obviously a, an absolute pandemic and, and a lot of people are dying and that's obviously absolutely horrible. Uh, but from a business point of view, um, we've been, DeVere as a company, I would say, largely unaffected over the last four to, to six weeks since it's really started to impact Europe and, and obviously here. Um, absolutely, I think it's going to change my business and how I work. Um, already straight away more efficient. You know, a standard day for me would be getting to the office uh, in the morning, completing a bit of paperwork, and then probably driving around Doha and doing three, four meetings maximum would be my my, my capacity usually. Um, you know, you're driving whatever, you know, what the traffic can be like as well, 45 minutes between meetings or whatever it may be. Uh, and that was your sort of ceiling. Um, now I'm seeing myself doing eight to 10 Zoom reviews and consultations without really blinking. Um, and this might sound a little bit crazy and some people will disagree with this, uh, but I actually feel like the, the, the meetings are a lot more valuable for the one reason. Um, of course, you and I are both people person, we like the face-to-face and you can't, you can't buy that and you can't replace that. But with my job, when you're going through and you've got the, the Zoom facility to share the screen, I actually feel as if it's actually been a lot more interactive with the clients, um, you know, because I'm going through, I'm showing them calculations, I'm throwing up a, a fact sheet of an investment on the screen, I'm talking them through it, whereas that's almost lost a bit in face-to-face where, you, you, you know, you can spin the paper around and show or you can sit and draw something out. I don't know. There's just something that seems to be, and I'm sure there'll be some people out there that will agree with me. No, absolutely. I'm losing the face-to-face touch and I want to get that back. But for me, genuinely, I feel as if the the meetings have been a lot more, almost in depth and a lot more understanding from clients. Um, That you need to meet with people face-to-face, you know, the amount of meetings. When I first came out and was working with KPS, one one of the great things that Alex Hunt said to me was, make any reason to go and see your client. The more yep. that your client sees you, the more they're going to get to know you, the more you're going to get to know them, et cetera, et cetera. So there's never a negative to go and see a client. However, we're in such a, globally, we're obviously very, very busy. Um, yep. Qatar is just nuts at the best of times. So for you as an individual and as a type of company with, you know, not necessarily business to business, but business to consumer, um, people are at work people are, are struggling to find time. They want to spend time with their family. They don't want to be interrupted. If anything, this is going to be a perfect opportunity to say, listen, they can then control the time. They can control the time that you spend with them. You know, again, with the greatest of respect, I've had financial advisors in my house back in the UK for three hours. Yeah. No one has three hours to spend with an IFA. Again, no, no disrespect. But if you're on a Zoom call and you say, right, all I need is 30 minutes, Let's focus on an agenda. Let's focus on what you want to talk about. And it makes the meetings collectively, whether it's my meetings or yours, far more, far more productive. Yep. And then you have the stupid, and, I, and again, I'm being very flippant, but people will always find the positives. And I am trying to find the positives. If there's less cars on the road, there's less people going to meetings, it then has a knock-on effect on efficiency on the roads. Yep. It then has a knock-on effect on less, less, less accidents. Maybe not in Qatar. There's always going to be accidents. Less accidents, less accidents on the road. And of course, environmentally, it is long-term going to have an impact. You look at the amount of, uh, I'm trying to think of the, uh, the, um, the, 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 they were saying that the amount of carbon emissions or the, the level of carbon emissions has reduced over the last couple of months. This is, is having positive impacts and we're not taking away from the, the, the sheer hell that a lot of people are going through. Um, but it seems to have been a bit of a, a kick up the backside that business needed to become more efficient, to actually say, stop getting in your car, stop going to meetings that are not necessary, stop wasting people's time for three hours. Why don't you just do it? And we've had voice technology, uh, sorry, uh, video technology for, for about a decade, probably, probably more. Again, I'm being very, very quick with this, but it's never really taken off. You've had Skype for for quite a while. Zoom has just appeared from nowhere. Microsoft Teams is obviously kicking in. Various other uh, WebEx platforms and Cisco platforms and things like this. But they're being used by SMEs. The the, the conferencing world was Cisco, was Microsoft, was multinationals like oil and gas companies. Now, 
a company like mine is doing business on two projects with uh, stakeholders in Europe, um, the UAE, Qatar, and further afield, some even in, in, in America, the only hindrance is time zone. That's the yep. one thing you're never ever going to change is time and of course time zone. Yep. But it's actually making business far more efficient. And I'm actually quite excited with the business opportunities that we can do as a company. And I'm sure you'll be the same because the amount of clients that you can reach out to and the amount of clients that you can educate and the stereotype that you can actually move, move on from is going to be a, as, a, as a consequence, albeit you know, a, a fortunate, um, fortuitous consequence of, of what's actually happening. So it's exciting times and it'll be interesting to touch base with you, you know, in let's say six months time and we readdress where we're at. Hopefully things have settled down, but it'd be interesting to see what happens with business. You know, I'm, I'm potentially looking at reduction in clientele because less and less SMEs are going to be looking at office facilities. Yep. They're not going to need office facilities because they're working from a collaboration space like WeWork or Workington, or they're working from home because it's not necessary. Uh, yep. And again, the government's going to have to think about how they deal with that from a, a trade license per perspective. I think that will change um, maybe Devere's approach to office sizes. Do you think that uh, consultants and IFAs can work from home as productively as, as the office, or do you think the office is still going to be needed for that motivational purpose? It's, it's sort of the million dollar question at the moment. I guess the proof will be in the pudding uh, in six months, 12 months time when we start to see what, what actions, you know, kind of senior management or CEO put in place. Um, to answer your question directly, I absolutely do think can, consultants, you know, as I say, personally, I've been a lot more efficient, um, really, and more productive since working from home over the last four weeks. Um, is there things I miss about an office environment, though? You know, uh, absolutely there is. Um, I think, again, our business is sort of unique, though. Do you, if you take, yes, you can, you can have that cost saving and you can maybe maintain efficiency, but then do you take away having that base, that first impression for the clients that's worked so well for us with, a, you know, the, the brilliant unit that we have in, in Doha Tower? Um, so I, I think the answer is probably in between both in the sense of, you potentially downsize. I think we'll always need to have a base. We always need to have an office because clients want to come in and see that and have that trust, uh, especially new clients that are coming on board. Um, and, I, and the jury's still out on our business development side. Is that as efficient working from home? Mm. Um, so the jury's still out on that. I, I, I'm not entirely convinced personally. I think you know when you have your, your business development team and together, bouncing ideas off each other, keeping motivation, as we've talked about in our industry, it can be a, a thankless task at times um, for the business development guys. Um, so yeah, they've had to adapt how they work, um, which, which I think is, is, is positive and good. And we, we have adapted so much incredibly over the last six years, even since I've been here, excluding COVID-19. Um, so the way I would personally see it is, you, yeah, a smaller office, office space, um, consultants uh, and advisors essentially based from home, uh, only coming into the office when paperwork's needed to get handed to the admin team, and you'd have the admin uh, and business development team in a small sort of office space with a couple of meeting rooms. Um, is, is probably realistically where I would see it going. Uh, but then again, our, our senior management might have a, a different idea. I, I really, really don't know yet. The proof will be in the pudding. Could, you're right. It could be people start to make decisions in six months' time or at the end of the end of their lease, and then the 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 world. I don't think this will happen, but the world uh, society changes its mind and, and realizes that digital relationships, uh, remote relationships, video video call relationships are not the same thing. You know, you could take you know picturing your office in my in my mind. You've got about six, uh, six or seven closed areas um, that, that you know, client and consultation rooms, and then you've got um, quite a large, you know, 54 to 60 desk uh, open plan area. That in itself could, in essence, become obsolete if people are working from home. So you're halving the size of yep. your of your office, um, which is a, an impact on overhead, a positive impact impact for, on overhead, a, a huge. Uh, positive impact on overhead 
but then that you're then looking to i don't know you're looking at the advisors it's potentially going to give you a it's it's a recruitment process in itself because if you take 60 60 advisors for want of a number they're all working from home you're actually going to start to see which ones are motivated and which ones are not which ones are adaptable and which ones are not so you then might obviously reduce the numbers but you're you're taking the negative performers out of that situation and focusing on the on the positives so yeah. it has various degrees of i mean it has various degrees of changing the way your business the way I'm that you're building. playing devil's advocate though um you're right there's people like myself um that, that would be more productive working from home there's definitely advisors that have, have been less productive playing devil's advocate though would i have if rewind back six years would i have made it if i didn't have an office and i didn't have experienced consultants around me on a daily basis to guide me probably not um if i'm being brutally honest so there's guys and there's guys i know in my team that are not as efficient working from home uh, but that's not necessarily maybe due to, to laziness um, or a lack of motivation. Uh, it, it, in some cases, they actually need the, a lot closer support from, from the senior advisors, from management as well. So, yeah, I, as I say, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer with it. I think it's, um, you know, the head's well above me looking at the costs and looking at the, the disadvantages of it and weighing up if, like any business decision, if it's... Uh, if it's the cost, the cost saving is worth the, the disadvantages that will come by doing it. Yeah, there's always pros and cons because each individual is different. Each client is different. You know, you can work from home and, and I'm your client and we're happy to have this kind of relationship. Yeah. You could have an advisor that's not as experienced and a client that wants to do face-to-face. -face. It completely changes the, the circumstance that the office yeah. is required both for the client and for, you know, for the individual. So, no, I agree. There's, there's, there's pros and cons for both. But so, sorry, and it clients as well. You'll get some clients that will prefer face-to-face. -face. You'll get some like you that, that don't want uh, someone in the house sitting in front of drinking their tea for two hours. You know, uh, there'll be, there'll be people that, that like that face-to-face -face service and want it. There'll be others that find it so much more efficient and interactive doing it over, over a Zoom call or video. But as you say, the technology's there. Um, and it's certainly um, not affecting uh, at the moment, certainly not affecting us for business at the moment. If anything, the, as I say, obviously the, the market impact that's been caused by COVID-19 has actually made us a lot busier because uh, A, clients, um, it's really, really important, like I said, to all the advisors in my office, you know, at the start of this, our job's brilliant. It's nice and fluffy when you're turning up and there's a 10% annualized return that you're presenting. Our jobs are a hell of a lot more important when things have fallen 10, 20%. Uh, it's so important that we're educating clients as to why, uh, as to why they shouldn't be withdrawing their funds and potentially why they should be, be investing more. Um, and a general attitude, unfortunately, that, that exists in the industry uh, worldwide, probably even more so in, in the Middle East. Um, is you'll get advisors with that attitude of, oh my God, I don't want to call this client and tell them that he's, he's 100 <laughs> 90K. Um, and that just baffles me. You know, it's, it's, it's people, want, the biggest complaint, and I, I can say this, the biggest complaint Devere has as a company, over, over 100,000 clients now, um, and the biggest complaint, the most consistent complaint that we have is, is not that my money didn't perform well which is incredible for a financial advisory. The biggest, and I'm sure all financial advisors are the same, the biggest complaint that we have is I've not heard from my advisor. Mm. Um, and again, that, that's just, just, just lunacy. You know, the amount, and as I say, that's something that worked really well with the webinar. We were so reactive to do that. Um, got, you know, all of our clients on. Any that missed it, we recorded it and sent to it. And it was an hour of me talking as to why the markets fell, comparing it to 2008 showing what the recovery time was to 2008. Um, and for anyone that actually watched it, you know, I actually put in live examples of people that withdrew their money in 2008, how it impacted them, people that, that stopped, stayed invested but stopped investing in 2008, and people that stayed invested and continued to invest. And it was almost like, this is the, 
you know, it's obviously a different crash, but every crash is unprecedented, where it was the subprime mortgage crash in 2008, 2000 tech crash, World War II. They all got one thing in common, markets fell and they'll recover over the long term. Uh, and, and yeah, that's the kind of key thing that we're, we're saying to people. And, and it's totally understandable from a client point of view. Again, I've had, you know, I've heard of consultants, oh, why, why is this guy complaining? You know, his portfolio's only fallen 10%, the market's fallen 30%, it's performed exceptionally well. But yeah, it's, it's people's hard-earned money. They're, they're going to be emotional about it. Of course they are, but it's our job to educate them as to, to why they, they, they shouldn't have that emotional reaction. Um, and why they should look at it level head, but it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, I even find it difficult with my own portfolio, and I'm conscious of all these these principles. Um, so I can only imagine what it's like for someone that works in oil and gas um, that, that's invested hard in money. And really, at the end of the day, all they're looking at is the bottom line. They maybe don't have a, a real good in depth understanding of the investment. Um, and that, that's really what where I'm really passionate about the job and why it's so important to be. You just, you just said you just said something that um, is very relevant because if you, as an experienced financial professional, are not necessarily concerned, but you understand, but you're a little worried uh, about a drop, and you feel aggrieved about that drop, and you're educated in the industry then you're going to get non-educated, relying on client expectation setting from your company or other advisors. Of course, they're going to be worried. I have a very, very close uh, friend who has worked in uh, stocks and shares and, and has done very, very well out of it. And he, every single day, will speak to, to me or my wife and he will com complain, not in a negative way, just a, I can't believe this is happening. But he, of all people know, having been in this industry from a banking perspective for not just a decade, decades, knows it's going to recover, yeah. knows it's going to come back, yeah. but it still affects the here and now. It still affects the mindset of, ah, oh, I, can't, I can't believe there's nothing you can do about it. It's an automatic reaction. He knows it's going to recover, but it doesn't stop the emotion being there. So if the emotion is there with someone as experienced as you or as you know, my close friend, um, then it's going to affect the mindset and it's going to affect the emotions of, of your clients. And I think just to sort of finish off on that chapter before we close, it's very much about client expectation. It doesn't matter the industry. It's about when Jason uh, and myself were discussing when is the office going to be finished? How long is it going to take? What's the process we need to go through? What's the potential risks? And are we going to get it done on time? Because I need my advisors to be in here, to be excited, to see what's going on and to work. So setting Jason's expectations for him to then set your expectations was very, very important. That's exactly yep. what you do. If you set your client's expectations along the lines of, if you put in $1,000 a month and it's going to grow by 25% a year, irrespective of any crashes, and then of course COVID-19 happens, you've, you've let the client down. You would rather turn to the client and say, I can give you consistency of three to 5% a year and it performs at nine. You under, uh, over, over perform and under deliver. Totally. So those expectations for them. Totally agree. Um, you know, the analogy you use in terms of that's really relevant to your fit out. You know, if you're promising things about ready in a month and, and uh, it's, it ends up being three months away, of course, it affects the client experience. And, and I think I've done a video actually recently on, on the YouTube channel um, about five things to look out for when appointing uh, a financial advisor. And one of the, the principles involved in it was promising high returns. Um, you know, let's not get away from it. The, the Middle East compared to US, Europe, UK is, is, is a fairly unregulated market when it comes to financial advice. So you do need to really dance carefully when appointing a financial advisor. And, and one of the number one red flags for me has been promised someone sitting down promising you 20, 25% returns without risk. That just doesn't happen, you know? So yeah. Um, as I say, and that's important, setting client expectations. Um, and that comes through, again, regular, you know, regular, regular contact and service as well. Because, um, you know, you can do that at the start, 
set them out, right, your growth expectation for your risk score is 7% per annum. But then if you don't speak to them for, for two years and then turn up and, and that, that's kind of gone to the back of their mind. Whereas if you're constantly having regular, regular meetings, showing what the target, because it's not just, as, as I said again at the start about just investing, it's actually about hitting a financial goal, whether it's retirement, your kids' uh, college fund, um, buying a house, whatever. So I'm always taking the portfolio back and saying, right, okay, this is the target we're going to. This is where we're at at the moment. This has been the growth, and this is where we're going to get to for it. No, 100% agree. Um, Chris, I've really enjoyed the, the conversation. Thank you very much once again for being part of this. Um, we, will, uh, we will put the, the podcast out uh, in the coming days. Uh, and we'll obviously do an introduction to you as an individual and Devere. But I'd love to also point people in the direction of your, your YouTube channel. So um, make sure that you, you send a link. But how else uh, can people get in touch with you? What's the, what's the best way to reach out to Chris Douglas? Yeah, um, obviously a number of platforms that are out there. So as you mentioned, the YouTube channel that's recently been launched, that's called Investing Made Simple uh, dash Chris Douglas. Um, so you can obviously search for me on there. Um, how that channel works is it's got essentially two, just very quickly, it's got uh, two platforms. I'll be posting two educational videos per week on a Monday and Friday, which is just really for the, the dual public just general little investment tips. Uh, for example, I done a video last week, as I mentioned, on five things to look for when appointing a financial advisor and a video on what is a dividend. Um, so very simple little educational videos for the self-investor, really. Um, that platform, as I mentioned as well, also serves as a, um, a source for basically sending private updates to my clients. So they're going to get regular market updates that only they can view, uh, exclusive product updates, etc., that they can view, etc., as well. Um, so do subscribe to the channel and you'll get the educational content twice a week. Uh, if anyone that's based in Qatar um, that, that does want to reach out for kind of a personal chat or maybe to put you in contact again with maybe one of our other advisors, um, then LinkedIn. Uh, so you can again reach me on, on Chris Douglas uh, on, on LinkedIn. Uh, my email address as well, chris.douglas uh, at devere-group.com. Uh, and yeah, um, more than happy to help anyone that's got any questions. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, selfishly, just at the, at the end, um, we, we spoke about it at the start. Uh -huh. uh, a lot of similarities with regards to processes in my industry and, and processes in, in your industry uh, and how uh, COVID-19 is going to affect it. Um, I'm intrigued uh, as to how you found from sort of kind of in the background watching. Uh, I think there was a, quite a few uh, of you and your colleagues that would be coming you know, to the site to see the evolution um, of the office. Um, just intrigued, uh, what was the kind of most surprising part of the fit out process that, uh, that you felt? Um, what was the kind of um, uh, takeaways that, that you saw from what we were doing for you and, and what did you think of the end result? Sure, yeah, as you say, rather unfortunately, it was literally a couple of months prior to me being promoted to area manager, so I didn't have too much direct involvement, but as you say, I'm one of the lucky ones uh, that had the experience of obviously the office that we were in previously, which was just across the road. Um, so you're right, we were regularly over looking at the update. And, and yeah, it did just shock me, obviously, that anyone that's been to our office, the space and how it was laid out. Uh, and you're looking at, I think our move-in date, you can correct me if I'm wrong, was uh, March, sometime in March. You know, and I remember being over there a couple of weeks prior to it, and you're sort of looking around and going, <laughs> we're not moving in. This is typical Qatar. We're not. This is going to be done at the end of the year, kind of thing. And maybe that was just my complete inexperience with um, how a fit out process works. But yeah, uh, bang on the, the, the intended move in date. We were in there, uh, and the office is just laid out so professionally, it's so efficient um, for what we want. I know obviously you spent a lot of time with Jason, uh, James Green, perhaps even Graham Bentley, who was over. Um, designing all the little sort of details from, you know, the you know, whiteboards on the wall to the layout of the meeting rooms, the training rooms and stuff. Um, and also having that kind of, as you say, the main area where we've got 50, 60 desks that kind of help to create that kind of camaraderie between the, uh, the business development guys, etc. So, yeah, I, I don't think I could have done it any better myself. No, thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally... Um... 
I remember that, that you know, you, the size of the reception desk, I think it's about 3.4 meters. Yeah. And the, the elevator is, is 3.4 meters. So we, we literally just managed to get it in at a certain angle, uh, get yeah. it upstairs and move it in on, you know, on that evening. You know, we were there, I think Jason and I had gone for a bite to eat with a couple of my colleagues um, yeah. at like 9 p.m. while the reception was being finished. And we went back. So I think technically we were an hour late. And we finished at like 1 a.m. Uh, but the day that you were, the, 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 that was the Thursday night because everyone had gone out to brunch. Uh, both I took my team out and you took, uh, or Jason took your team out. Yeah. And everyone congregated in the morning. Yeah. And I, bags under my eyes were telling because we came in, I don't know, 10 o'clock or 10.30 yeah. um, the following morning. So it was, it was touch and go. But it is, again, it's a bit like an education process and setting the expectations. Everything is about the planning at the front end. Everything, you know, we've potentially got projects that take, let's say it's 12 weeks. We could plan for six weeks. We could do designs, we could do procurement, we could do samples, mood boards, et cetera, et cetera. We could do the civil defense paperwork. And then it actually takes six weeks to build it. But you get to seven days prior to handover and yep. you're still sending down walls and you're, you're in a, a you're basically a, a construction site. You know, sure. within that seven days, the turnaround and the finishes the carpets go down very quickly. Again, we spoke about um, uh, Hamish. Uh, yep, Kirkpatrick yep. is now uh, Faithful and Gold in Oman, but he was yep, an actor. Yep, yep. He recommended us to Jason. And the, the project that we did with, with Atkins was a full floor, albeit the majority was, was open plan. You literally had people putting smoke detectors on over here. Then as you fanned around, they were finishing the painting. Then as you fanned around, the, the carpet was going in. So it was literally just everyone was moving at the same time on that weekend in order to get the staff from D-Ring over to, to West Bay. So it was like a three-day process from nothing on the floor and no paint on the walls and no final fix to just getting everything done. And it's all about coordination and planning. Um, but in, a, in an industry or in a sector uh, like ours and in a, the part of the world like Qatar, it can be quite challenging to coordinate several disciplines at the same time. But yeah, we, uh, we got there and we, we got there just on time, uh, just in time. Um, yeah. We're very pleased with the results. It was the first floor and the first time um, that we had actually split uh, a floor within such a complex tower. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that was fairly successful. And again, that was what extended the overall duration of, of the project. But yeah, I remember Tanya and obviously Jason and yourself, you know, coming across and, and having a look at it. And it, it did seem to, again, you take it from an open plan environment, which it was, it's very hard. You see that you see the, vi the visual renders and you see the plans and you yeah. see that you have meeting rooms, but until you've got paint on the walls and carpet on the floor, you can't envisage it. So uh, nice. yeah. it, it really is. But go, going back to it again, you know, obviously we talked about how, I build my, you know, building our business and, and, and how that operates as well. But in sense of obviously the excellent job that Hamish being a, again, a mutual client of both of ours. Um, I know being close to Jason at the, the time of the process, that was certainly one thing that pushed us towards using, you know, yourself and Brief pure, purely from the excellent words that Hamish had to say about the, the job that you had done up the stairs, you know, and, and I guess that's probably, um, I'm sure Jason probably didn't, uh, insinuate it at the time but it's probably definitely what led him to going right okay there's there's actually a reference here there, there, there's yeah. actually someone that's giving great feedback and um and that's how business is done in the middle east i think you know uh, it really is yeah it's about relationship building uh, and too many people are bogged down me included um you know latterly uh in in the past sort of year doing a lot of a lot of coaching and i know i know yourself you've got a number of mentors as well and you need that you need people to give you that guidance and instead of working on your business and working you know working in your business um being able to to grow it and, and keep those relationships you know maintained you touched on it earlier that you were unhappy with the lack of management that you had of your clients that you had to change and and sort of diversify your way of of doing that and we we constantly have to do it we constantly have to um to manage the, the relationships and spend more time on it rather than the mundane tasks that tend to bog us, you know, bog us down. Um, yeah. Yeah, we were very pleased with the results. We were delighted that you guys were, were pleased as well. The office is obviously still, still going strong. One final question. Yeah. What's your favorite consultation room? It's 
got to be London. Got to be <laughs> London. <laughs> so just for anyone that's watching this, all our consultation rooms are named after a kind of financial city or, or jurisdiction. So we've got Hong Kong, what Sydney, London, New York. Uh, God, Cape I forget that. Cape Town. Cape Town, yes. Um, so yeah, London corner room. That's the that's the popular one. That one's always booked. <laughs> Chris, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. I found that very insightful. Um, I hope you guys did as well. We'll have this uh, this video up on YouTube and the podcast out uh, in the, the the coming days. Um, Chris, thanks so much. Really Sounds appreciate it, and uh, I'm sure we'll catch up. We'll catch up and uh, when things when the lockdown um, eases off. But uh, for now, thanks very much. This has been uh, Simon Joss. This is Qatar. We will see you next week. Many thanks to Chris Douglas, my guest, for this week. Um, fantastic insight into his career uh, and his experience within the financial sector. Next week, I'm extremely grateful and excited to introduce uh, Kirk Durant, the managing partner of DWF. Uh, DWF are a legal services firm uh, based in Qatar and have several offices worldwide and, of course, throughout the GCC. Kirk takes us on a journey of his sporting past and his legal mind and gives us a breakdown into what it's like uh, being a law firm in Qatar and in particular into construction law. Looking forward to that next week.